This episode of the Royal Ramble is dedicated to the memory of Antonio Inoki. As you heard right at the start, we unfortunately have to begin with some sad news as the wrestling community lost one of the great legends of the sport this past week and one of the biggest wrestling stars in the history of Japan, maybe the world. I will eventually run through my thoughts and predictions of WWE Extreme Rules next weekend, but for now, I wanted to talk about the life and career of Antonio Inoki. So away we go. He was born Kanji Inoki in Yokohama, Japan on February 20th, 1943. He was the second youngest of 11 children, and his father, Sajiro Inoki, a businessman and politician, passed away when Kanji was only five years old. By the time Inoki reached junior high, he was taught karate by his older brother and was also a star athlete in basketball and shot put, as he was quite tall for his age. Following the Korean War, his family fell on hard times, and so the 14-year-old Inoki emigrated to Brazil along with his mother, grandfather, and brothers. His grandfather died during the trip. While in Brazil, Inoki added to his athletic accomplishments, winning track and field championships in shot put, discus throw, and javelin throw. When he was 17, Inoki met Ricky Dozan in Brazil and returned to Japan to wrestle for the Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance promotion as Ricky Dozan's protege. One of Inoki's dojo classmates was another Japanese wrestling legend, Giant Baba. After his mentor Ricky Dozan was tragically murdered in the early 1960s, Inoki started training under Baba's tutelage until leaving for an excursion to the U.S. in 1964. After an extended journey of wrestling in the United States, Inoki returned to Japan in 1966 and wrestled for Tokyo Pro Wrestling, eventually becoming their biggest star. Unfortunately for him, political turmoil behind the scenes led to the company going out of business in 1967. Inoki returned to JWA later that year and started teaming with Baba. The two would hold the NWA International Tag Team Championships four times. In the early 1970s, Inoki was fired from JWA for allegedly planning a takeover of the promotion, which all led to him founding a new company in 1972 called New Japan Pro Wrestling. His first match in New Japan was against another wrestling legend, Carl Gotch. Inoki wrestled a special rules match against Pakistani wrestler Akram Pahalwan, in 1976, which apparently turned into a shoot when an uncooperative Pahalwan bit Anoki's arm, causing Anoki to retaliate with an eye poke. According to the referee Mr. Takahashi, the finish was not part of the script as Anoki injured Pahalwan's arm with a double wrist lock as Pahalwan refused to submit. On November 30, 1979, Anoki defeated then-WWWF champion Bob Backlund in Tokushima, Japan to win that championship. Backlund won the rematch on December 6th, but WWWF president at the time, Hisashi Shinma, overruled that decision, declaring it a no contest due to outside interference from Tiger Jeet Singh, and so Inoki remained champion. Inoki relinquished the title that same day, and it was declared vacant, and Inoki's reign was never officially recognized. 
1995, the Japanese and North Korean governments worked in collaboration to promote a two-day wrestling festival for peace in Pyongyang, North Korea. The main event saw the only match between Ric Flair and Antonio Inoki, with Inoki getting the win. Inoki wrestled a series of matches between 1994 and 1998. It was called the Final Countdown and was basically his retirement tour, although he officially retired as a professional wrestler in 2003 in a match with Tatsumi Fujinami as part of Fujinami's retirement ceremony. During his in-ring career, Inoki had a 1976 fight with boxing champion Muhammad Ali, a fight which many believe was the predecessor to what is now known as mixed martial arts. In 2007, Inoki founded a new promotion called Inoki Ganome Federation, and then in 2010, he was announced as one of that year's inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame. During his wrestling career, he also entered politics in 1989, following in his father's footsteps. In 1990, he actually traveled to Iraq to negotiate the release of Japanese hostages with Saddam Hussein. He was elected to Japan's upper house as a member of parliament in 2013 and considered running for governor of Tokyo in 2014. He officially announced his retirement from politics in 2019. Inoki was married to Japanese actress Mitsuko Baisho from 1971 to 1987 and together they had a daughter, Hiroko. He converted to Shia Islam in 1990 during a pilgrimage to Karbala, Iraq, where he adopted the Islamic moniker Muhammad Hussein Anoki, but later described himself as both a Muslim convert and a Buddhist. Anoki also appeared in the manga Tiger Mask in a secondary role and did the movie The Bad News Bears Go to Japan playing himself. His latest television appearance was on an episode of Dark Side of the Ring in 2021, where he spoke about the 1995 Collision in Korea event. He also operated a wrestling-themed restaurant in Shinjuku, Tokyo, named Antonio Inoki Sakaba Shinjuku. In 2021, reports came out that Inoki would be confined to a wheelchair due to spinal issues. He passed away early Saturday morning, October 1, 2022. He was 79 years old. He was a son, a brother, a student, a trainer, a colleague, a promoter, an actor, a politician, a restaurateur, a friend, and a legend. Antonio Inoki will be missed and remembered by all. Yasuraka Ninumuru. As hard as that will be to follow, I'm going to make my best attempt. The WWE has their next premium live event taking place next Saturday from Philadelphia. It is Extreme Rules, and for the first time in a long time, it actually feels extreme. And how appropriate is it that it will be taking place in the land of the extreme? It's been a while that all matches on the card have a stipulation, and I think this may be the first time ever where not only do all match stipulations make sense, but they all have proper builds to them. It is interesting to note that the WWE Universal Championship will not be defended on this show, but I guess that title defense has already been announced for the company's return to Saudi Arabia next month for Crown Jewel. That said, this one looks damn good itself. So where to even start? I'm going to begin with the guy who ended the last premium live event, and that is Drew McIntyre. He'll be facing Karrion Cross in a strap match, and while I'm not so much a fan of this match type specifically, I think this is an appropriate stipulation for these two and makes perfect sense. Up until now, Cross has been getting the advantage on Drew with sneak attacks from behind. 
So what better way to keep him in plain view and ensure that he can't run? This is perfect. I don't think either guy can really afford a loss here. Drew just lost a big match at the last show, and Cross is entering his biggest match since returning. So you don't really want to kill either guy's momentum, which is why I think this stipulation is brilliant, because the match can end without either guy having to take a pinfall or submission loss, and it won't hurt them at all. I think this could be really entertaining, and I think Drew will end up getting the win here by touching all four turnbuckle pads in succession, but a post-match distraction by Scarlett will allow Cross to once again attack Drew from behind, and then wrap the strap around Drew's neck and hang him from the top rope, leading to Drew being carted away on a stretcher. Drew's friend Sheamus will also be wrestling on this card, although for his match, I suppose the term wrestling can be used loosely. Sheamus teams with Butch and Ridge Holland, the Brawling Brutes, to take on the Imperium team of Gunther, Ludwig Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci, which will be a Donnybrook match, and my understanding is that it will be contested under tornado rules, meaning that it's anything goes and no tags are necessary. This one could be sleeper for match of the night in my opinion. I think it's the right style of match for all six involved, and I think because Gunther doesn't have to take a pin in this match to protect him, I envision the Brawling Brutes getting the decisive win where Sheamus pins Kaiser, and then after the match, Gunther takes his aggression out on Kaiser. There are also two women's titles being defended on this card. The first one will be Liv Morgan turning back the challenge of Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown women's title in an Extreme Rules match. I have to say that of all the matches on this card, this is the one that I'm least looking forward to. Not only do I think this match has the weakest overall build, but I think it's safe to say at this point that Liv's entire title run has been an epic failure, as has Ronda's 2022 return. I'm just so tired of both of these women at this point. Given the stipulation, I can see Liv trying to play cat and mouse early on until Ronda eventually catches her and applies the ankle lock for the quick tap out. The bell is rung, but Ronda keeps the hold applied as several officials enter the ring to try and break it up. Ronda eventually snaps and takes all of them down, and then the decision is reversed because of Ronda's actions, so Liv keeps the belt, but the damage done to Liv's ankle is so severe in storyline that she's unable to defend the title, and thus has to vacate the belt, which is held up by management. This entire feud sucks. Let's move on. The Raw women's title will also be defended in a ladder match as Bianca Belair takes on Bailey. Prior to the match, Adam Pearce catches up to damage control in the back and says that Dakota and Io are barred from ringside, and to keep this match one-on-one, -on -one, if any contracted WWE talent interferes, they will be fired on the spot. This match could be really good, especially considering the stipulation. I'm expecting a lot of creative spots here, and it's so refreshing to finally see a ladder match contested between just two people. Just as Bianca has victory well in hand, two hooded figures jump into the ring and pull her down, keeping her neutralized while Bailey grabs the title to become the new champion. Pierce then comes out and says he warned them, so Dakota and Io are both fired. But then Dakota and Io come in behind Pierce and reveal that they never interfered. They join Bailey in the ring and do a three-on-one number on Bianca as the two hooded people are still holding her. Bailey then finishes Bianca off with a rose plant onto the belt. She then removes the hoods of the two in the ring to reveal Sasha Banks and Naomi who return as heels, and since they aren't technically under contract, they can't be fired. Just announced on Raw Monday night will be an I Quit match between Edge and Finn Balor. You know, I still don't buy Finn as the leader of the Judgment Day group. 
I feel like a new leader will eventually be brought in. This match could be really good as well. I do see Judgment Day getting involved, so Edge will be able to fight Dominic and Priest off, but then Rhea will jump into the ring and hit him with a low blow, which leads to Edge's wife Beth Phoenix running down to attack Rhea. But then the rest of Judgment Day has Beth surrounded, and Rhea knocks her down with a steel chair to the back. She then places Beth's neck between the chair, and Finn goes up to the top, threatening to deliver the coup de grace to Beth, while Priest and Dom have Edge tied up in the ropes. Edge then says he quits to save Beth, so Finn wins and jumps off the rope, leaving Beth alone. But just before leaving, Rhea viciously stomps the chair herself, and Edge rushes to Beth's aid while Judgment Day retreats. And then, of course, is the fight pit match between Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins, which will likely be the main event, especially after the announcement made just last night that UFC star Daniel Cormier will serve as guest referee. This is going to be great for business and hopefully getting a lot more eyes on the WWE product. This is one of the only matches on this card that I can see ending with a clean-ish finish. I think since Rollins got the clean victory over Riddle at the last event, it's fitting that Riddle should win in his own environment. This should be a tremendous match, though. After Riddle's victory, both Cormier and Rollins exit the ring so Riddle can celebrate, but then suddenly the White Rabbit graphic and QR code appear on the screen and the lights go out. When they come back on, the Fiend is in the ring, standing over an unconscious Riddle. For the first time ever, the Fiend removes his mask and reveals Randy Orton with a possessed look on his face, and that's how the show ends. I think this works on a number of levels and also connects multiple storylines. Plus, Orton doesn't need to wrestle for it to work. Sure, they'll build to an eventual match, but for now they can just do mind games. Right now, I'm going to predict the full Survivor Series card in this week's Fantasy Forecast. I know that Crown Jewel is technically the next event, but I don't really consider those Saudi shows as official pay-per-views. They're more like house shows or live events. So here's how I would book Survivor Series in November. We know there are going to be two War Games matches. In the men's one, I would have the bloodline of Roman Reigns, The Usos, Solo Sokoa, and Sami Zayn, and their opponents on the other side, Kevin Owens, Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, who will officially be babyface by then, and the return of Brock Lesnar. In the women's match, I would have damage control consisting of Bayley, Dakota Kai, Io Sky, Sasha Banks, and Naomi, who would then be reinstated, versus the team of Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Raquel Rodriguez, and Candice LeRae. Based on how I chose to end the Extreme Rules event, I think we're getting the return of The Fiend, in this case played by Bray Wyatt, against Matt Riddle. I can also see Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre continuing their rivalry in a last-man-standing match. The tournament finals will also take place to crown a new SmackDown Women's Champion to be contested between Shayna Baszler and the returning Charlotte Flair. I'm picturing a four-team elimination match as well between Imperium, the Brawling Brutes, the Judgment Day represented by Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio, and the fourth team of Rey Mysterio and the New Day. Originally, I was going to put Big E as part of the New Day team, but not sure where he's at physically, and I don't expect him back anytime soon, though it would make sense with Holland on one of the opposing teams in the match. So there you have it. I will be back next weekend to review both the WWE Extreme Rules and Impact Bound for Glory events. 
Speaking of impact, for those of you who haven't yet seen my interview with Knockouts champion Jordan Grace, it is up on my YouTube channel, and while you're there, feel free to subscribe. I will also have a bonus preview episode of Bound for Glory up later this week, and another YouTube exclusive, and I may be joined by a special guest, so stay tuned. Until then, I'll leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.